welcome to episode 1759 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined today by Bradford William Davis, a return guest, but now with a new gig. Bradford, how are you? Hey, Meg. Thank you for having me. I am, I'm okay. I'm like a little tired because I've been working a lot, and then also I had the uh, great misfortune of, well, no, great misfortune, that sounds so privileged. The great fortune of having a flu shot. Um, right. you know, I, I don't want. I don't want to um, anti-vax. You know this this uh, reputable podcast. But no. Um, but but I am tired. Yeah. They and, can... I, and I think I think I think it might be from the flu shot. You know I don't know. But like but I was yeah. definitely I definitely woke up like about twelve minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The the flu shot thing can knock you around. I got mine a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and the the drag was definitely not as intense as it was post my second uh, COVID vaccine shot. But you do feel it for at least a day, where you're, you're dragging a little bit. Right. Right. Exactly. So uh, so ho- ho- hopefully, like I'm still a coherent and useful, you know, member of this podcast <laughs> today. And uh, you know, again. Science works, vaccines, whatever. Yeah, Please. We're, <laughs> yeah, get, we're, get, get your shots to protect your community. Yeah, but I'm, but also I'm tired, and that's my yeah. truth. <laughs> yeah, we hope that we hope everyone gets their shots, and we hope everyone is uh, is granted at least a day to recover from them when they get them. So Amen. the last time that you were on Effectively Wild, you were working for the Daily News, and you were in the weeds on baseball pretty much every day. And now you have a new job at Insider, which listeners might be familiar with uh, as Business Insider, but it is now on a broader mission. And so we're going to talk playoff baseball in in the back half of this episode, but I think it's always interesting for people to kind of understand how the specific job you do in sports writing changes the way that you engage with sports writing because you know, a features writer is really different from a beat writer, and all of those folks are really different from the kinds of do different kinds of work than the kind of work we do at Fangraphs. And so, I thought we could start there, and maybe you could just lay out for our listeners, like, what is how do you how do you describe your current job when you're telling friends and family what you do? Right. So, uh, I I usually describe myself as an investigative features writer. So that means, generally speaking longer pieces mm-hmm. with a lot of research and digging define the thing that pro- that someone probably doesn't want you to know about. <laughs> and yeah. uh and some people do want you to know about, which is why right. they, they often come out. But many but many people usually people who have some sort of power authority, you know, in the area or field that's being reported on don't want you to. So that is uh that's 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 investigative, you know, reporting and writing. But usually stuff that, you know, has some sort of public import. Mm-hmm. Or, a very, or the very least interest, that is kind of what I get to to work on now at Insider. You, for people who, for like true Bradford heads at the <laughs> Daily News, you may not be terribly surprised that I'm doing that kind of stuff, given right. that a lot of what I did back at the Daily News, even as I was a, a columnist there, a sports columnist, yeah. were, you know, were very investigative pieces where, you know, that took a lot of time chipping away and chipping away and chipping away to find something that, uh, you know, that I believe to be important, other people believe to be other people believe to be important as well. But the you know, but the pace is different. Of course, I'm not you know, um, I'm not a columnist, so 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 it's not my job to uh, to serve takes. You know, um, right. that's for Twitter now. Um, I do, I, I still, I still do get to express my values clearly. You know, in in both just the subjects I choose to cover, but also even how I write about them. You know, yeah. but the uh, but it's you know it, of course you know the the position not the position I I'm I'm taking you know when I choose to write a story is a little different 
for Insider anyway. So, uh, so yeah, so that's that's me. And then the other thing is that the desk is not a sports specific desk either. There are some investigative sports writers like uh, what comes to mind is uh, Molly uh, Henley Cl- uh, Clancy, I want to say, right, mm-hmm. uh, of the Washington Post. She's done all this incredible stuff on uh, I believe NWSL, you know, right. um, writing for 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 Wapo, you know, and the, you know, and, and so there are a few of those types of people out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, not not many because of the nature of the industry kind of crashing and burning. Yeah, the yeah. Daily News actually used to have an used to have an investigative reporting desk, and uh, you know they disbanded a few years ago because yeah. of no, no, no. Well, disbanded is not the right word. They were they were disbanded by right. <laughs> the uh, institutions of the news by ownership and, and management. But like, uh, but yeah, like it's you know that, that doesn't happen too often, unfortunately, um, because it's clearly needed if yeah. you've been following any sports news of late. Yeah. Uh, but with all that said. My uh, assignments aren't limited to sports or baseball. They, because of my background, they do encourage me to continue pursuing sports things. So I'm sure. still at games a lot, you know. Yeah. Like, um, once I, because again, there's no, there's not a whole lot of institutional knowledge of like, you know, I guess sports media, like say, like like, like a local paper. Like once I kind of like heard, oh, I can go to games again right. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and go on a field, you know, uh, yeah. which is far more valuable than just being on Zoom calls due to the pandemic. But, you know, but vaccinated, you know, uh, riders are allowed to uh, be on field during right. like pregame warmups and you get some opportunities, you know, not as not as frequent as before, but, you know, at, before back when you're in locker rooms. But um, but you get some opportunities to still like pull people aside and talk to them and. You know, I just, I just, I, I'm there about a week, once, once or twice a week, um, during the regular season. And I went to the, I went to the Red Sox Yankees wildcard game as well, since I was close enough. But like, yeah. Um, but just, just, you know, just kind of showing face, which is like half the job anyway, just like showing you're a real person that right. invested and not just parachuting in. But right. um, but yeah, and uh, but yeah, getting to just you know talk to people and chip away at things, and and so this, the the baseball story that I had done so far for Insider was a result of you know being able to talk to people right. in person. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the the wild card game and kind of getting back back on the field there because I imagine that you're you know you're sort of in an interesting spot um, having transitioned into the role that you did because some of the players who you covered while you were at the Daily News, you know, it's like not the first time you've talked to Aaron Judge, I imagine. But was the was the dynamic different at all, having been you know still present but less present than you would be if you were there, sort of as a as a regular columnist on a baseball beat? Yeah, you know, one of the cool things is that I've been able, as I've been re- kind of reintroducing myself, right, Yeah. to these players and coaches and everything, one of the things I've been able to tell them is, hey, listen, you know, I'm not here to write about, like, why you blew the platoon advantage right. <laughs> against Baltimore, <laughs> you right, know, or right. something like that. <laughs> and, like, you know, questions that are, of course, important within the sense of, you know, of, of, of this game that we sure. were so all respect and love, hence us, you know, doing a podcast on it. Yeah. But, like, you know, but um, but are certainly things that, like, you can imagine them not always enjoying having to talk about, right? Right. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, but, but basically just that, like, I have bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And so, you know, just in that reintroduction, just letting them know, listen, I, you know, I like I am someone who cares a lot about, you know, certain things, certain issues within the game. And I hope to be able to be able to talk to you about that. You know, I'm even willing to, you know, to, to, to do things, you know, fully off the record in the off season, you know, like, yeah. um, I, cause I don't want to bother you while you're like fighting for, you know, your lives in the playoffs or, or, or on, on the pennant race or whatever. Right. But like, right. you know, but, but, but we can, but, you know, but I don't need a quote right now. You know, I mean, you know, we, we can, we could chop it up in December, you know, um, yeah. when, when things are, when things are chiller for you. 
like that's been like that's been a, a pretty nice advantage honestly you know of yeah. like not of uh which is you know i'm not having to um not having the same kind of incentive to just kind of deliver headlines every single day you know right and show the value of like you know of writing good thorough you know pieces you know that that help people think and understand things better which is not to say that you can't do that quickly either to to be clear yeah. right yeah. but like you know but but i but it has been an advantage i've been able to use rhetorically when you know when talking to the two athletes and and people in the field um yeah. that so far has actually led to you know strengthening sourcing you know in a way that you know that wasn't happening as quickly, of course, in you know, um, in the brief time that I was in locker rooms in 2019, because that's another thing I just started, I just started doing this credential right, you're, sports writing you're, stuff in 20 in the summer of 2019, so I'm still pretty green, but yeah, your stretch of like normal sports reporting was, <laughs> was wildly like brief. Yeah. yeah, it was so brief before yeah. we had lockdown, and then everything shifted for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine being able to go up to a guy and and be like, I'm not going to ask you about the slider that you hung is like really nice. (laughs) I'm sure he's like, oh, thank God I get to talk about literally anything else than that. And I imagine that, you know, every job has has stuff that we like and stuff that we don't. And every job has structural incentives that are not always the best that we have to sort of navigate and push back against. And I would imagine that when you're able to take sort of a step back to do deep investigative work, that some of the some of the gnarlier structural incentives that, to be clear, there are plenty of reporters to, who navigate deftly and do good work around, but that some of the, the structural incentives that can lead to work that I think people maybe are less proud of are absent in a way that that must be nice, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Just to be able to, to critically think about the press release you get is like right. huge. Like there's yeah. such an incentive on just kind of like on even even among people who are trying to do the right thing, like yeah. on st- stenography. Like I'll even give you a, a concrete example of that. Like last year during the pandemic, which is still going on, so that could be this year, it could be any, probably probably right. forever. But <laughs> uh, but let's say early in in the American phase of this pandemic, right? Yeah. Major League Baseball had like announced this in total thirty million dollar contribution to workers who are now out of shift work, like 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 ballpark, like you know concessionaires, hot dog yeah. dudes, you know, and 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 beer guys, and you know those those folks, right? Like yeah. um folks who just immediately just kind of lost all their money, right, uh, or, or lost all their ability to make money due to the pandemic. They announced a one million dollar per team, you know, thirty million total, right, kind of thing in this press release, and and so I just kind of like wrote it straight, you know, like you know what I got in my email inbox about that. I come to find out a little later <laughs> that one million dollars doesn't really stretch that far. Yeah. Um. When you when you actually have any awareness of the logistics of operating a stadium and how many people are on you know on payroll. Like, you know, that it, it works out to like literally like sometimes like hundreds of dollars per person in right. a grant that's supposed to last them, the, you know, until indefinitely. Right. <laughs> um, and for and for most of these people, 12 months, you know, or close to it. Right. Right. The vast majority of ballpark workers. Right. But that's the kind of thing that you don't that like unless you have some special knowledge on. You don't like immediately process, right? But you have to have something up because you have to have you, you got to fill the paper, you know. Right. Um, and there's not, and because of you know the industry's sort of calling of redundancies and you know and, and editors and all sorts of things that can help you, you know, take a breath and to think about things. It just means you kind of you know you kind of post things, and yeah. so that's a you know and so but I I happen to believe that Major League Baseball knows this <laughs> you know pretty well so when they so when they're able to put a big fat big number uh, or seemingly big number you know one million dollars is you know sounds like a lot of money um 30 million in total 
and you know had that just fill headlines and get aggregated you know everywhere and everywhere you know all around the country essentially like that is you know that's a win for them because it makes it look like like that everyone like they're sacrificing tremendously for the sake of you know your working class beer vendor it's but you know but that's that wasn't the case you know these these people were 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 being grifted and exploited by these teams that could have easily you know uh paid them to live you know paid them well to live in comfort rather than literally means testing them for their grant, asking them like, Hey, what's your cell phone bill? Have you had COVID? Do you have any medical right. expenses? And then determining an allocation that still would never pay for any of those things right? <laughs> or come close to it. So like, you know, that, like that, that's a, uh, but that, that's the kind of advantage that like I, I get now of just being able to like sit and think and think and think and chip away. Like, yeah. so I'm really grateful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did, like you did great investigative work around baseball in the pandemic last year. I know Ben and I talked to you about it as you were reporting it. So it's very cool that you now have even more sort of space and bandwidth to do that kind of work because I think it's really important. And like you said, there's just as the media ecosystem contracts, right, as we have fewer and fewer folks working both from a reporting perspective and then helping, as you said, to maybe encourage people to take a breath and not tweet something, <laughs> but actually do some reported work around it. I think that work becomes all the more valuable because it's not as if um, everyone magically started acting ethically just because there are fewer people to spot when they don't. So <laughs> it's good to it's good to have folks who can do that and who aren't, you know, whose who's bread and butter isn't access tied, which again, there are plenty of people who navigate that definitely and do good work, but it is... It is a powerful structural incentive that often leads people to exclude or um, sit on stuff that they really should be digging through and then exposing. So <sighs> baseball media, sports media, it's always a positive story. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it is It is if you're writing about management. Yeah, <laughs> it's always go. a positive story. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the problem. Yeah, that is kind of the problem. Well, I would ask you what – what baseball story you're working on now, but I have a feeling you can't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, like I, you know, uh, that one of the one of the uh, work has is I can't I can't always speak as freely about that kind of thing. What I can tell you though is that you know is this, the first story I did um, that was baseball related for Insider was one I think about that will appeal to a lot of effectively wild folks, but it was about yeah. um was written about a year after uh, Devin Williams, the uh, you know former Rookie of the Year had yeah. uh, kind of low-key launched an avalanche of racial justice demonstrations across pro sports. You know, and it, it was actually in response to Jacob Blake's being shot in the back like six, seven times, something like that, by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, not far from Milwaukee, where, where Devin plays. And so anyway, he he wrote uh, Williams like a day, after, day or two after that happened. He wrote BLM in big letters on the back of the mound so that everyone could see it, you know, and the TV caught it and all that. And it was a very inspiring and triumphant moment. However, in the next frame, the uh, the letters were erased, and you know, I kind of, you know, when I heard when I, when I found out about that, I was deeply curious as to why that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I did a story for Insider about that, where I got to talk to Williams, we got to talk to ton, you know, a bunch of players and uh, and people who you know understand, I guess, baseball decorum as to like you know, could a groundskeeper have done it? No. Like, would a player do it? Only if they suck. <laughs> as yeah. a person yeah. and, and then of course a player who does objectively suck as a person that being trevor bauer <laughs> was uh pitching in the bottom half of the you know bottom half of the frame so no one accused him outright of that right but like you know but the the circumstantial evidence does invite questions about him and so i you know yeah it was a fun story to write but also one I, I, that i hope continue to put at the forefront i guess the uh 
courage of what Williams did, the kind of hostility that even he, you know, yeah. received from something, someone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the kinds of, well, I mean, I guess I really, I think that's it, I guess. But like, but the, you know, but that, that those are, I, I was, I was doing that thing where I was looking for like three things to say about it. And I yeah. had two. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are two <laughs> things. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the courage he, he took to, to write BLM and, and also the kinds of hostility that, that he might, you know, um, that a black player might encounter for expressing themselves, um, and expressing, you know, their values, you know, that are important to them. It should be important to all of us, uh, yeah. obviously. And, uh, and yeah, so I was, I was, uh, really happy to be able to, to be able to do that. Got an insider gave me like the rope to, uh, to trust me on that kind of like obscure detail. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so definitely encourage you to check that out on, on insider. So yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. I appreciated that piece for a lot of reasons. And I think that what it, I hope drives home for people is that there's this perception one could have the perception that because there have been sort of very public, we might say performative demonstrations on baseball as an institution's part to try to toe the line and, and express a support for racial justice and against police brutality, that there isn't conflict and tension around those questions when individual players engage in spontaneous personal protest in moments like that. And we would, I think, be wrong to to accept that easy conclusion. So I think that this was a good reminder of that because it's just, you know, our our attention span for these things is so short, unfortunately, as you as you illustrated in that piece. And we need to kind of keep our eye on the ball and appreciate the the dynamics at play in a in a player pool that is not universally aligned on anything, let alone this, but is still trying to express, as you said, their values and and sort of make a point that's an important one. So I thought it was a very good piece. I liked it a lot. Do you want to talk some some playoffs? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk some playoffs. So we are recording this on Wednesday morning, a day without baseball, <laughs> which I have to admit wow. as the editor of baseball site is a little bit of a curse, but also a bit of a blessing because it allows us to catch our breath and kind of record a <laughs> podcast knowing it won't be immediately uh, dated <laughs> when it goes live. So that's nice. Um, as we sit here, we will not have baseball today, as I said, and we will only have one game tomorrow. The Dodgers and the Giants will play their game five for the right to advance to the NLCS. And the reason that we will only have one game is that the Astros soundly defeated the White Sox yesterday 10 to 1 to advance to the ALCS. Atlanta won a nail biter against the Brewers, so they will advance for the second straight year uh, on the back of a, a Freddie Freeman go ahead home run. Uh, so the AL field is set. We will have Houston and Boston, just like everyone wanted. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, scrappy underdogs. Yeah, who we, we just haven't seen, you know. Who, yeah. who, when was the last time we saw the Astros uh, make it to the ALCS? Who, who could say? And Atlanta will return, as I said, for the second straight year, and then we'll, we'll see who their opponent is after the results tomorrow. I guess let's start with this, this Astros-White Sox series. And I have to say, I don't know what your expectations were of this, but I thought this would be a lot closer. I had the White Sox advancing when we had to do our staff predictions. I think that I am I think that I'm about to maybe go 0 for 4 in terms of my CS team predictions. <laughs> I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing really badly, Bradford. <laughs> so 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 you had you had Sox over Astros. I oh, did. Yeah. I did. And in hindsight, maybe I uh I did not give uh sufficient respect to how just how mighty that Astros lineup is and how spectacular their offense has been over the course of the season. But I guess I thought 
Well, I thought two things. One, I thought that the White Sox would score just a bunch more runs than they did because they have a pretty fearsome lineup of their own. And I I had a lot of confidence in in the White Sox bullpen being deployed better and and being able to sort of hold hold tight while um they put more runs on the board and they were deployed strangely and then the White Sox didn't score as many runs. So I just really got this one wrong top to bottom, but what what were your <laughs> expectations going into this series? Did they did Houston emerging meet what you expected? <laughs> yeah, I kind I I had the Strohs for a couple reasons. One is that, and this time I have three reasons. <laughs> not, not 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 a couple. So here I am again in in reverse, um, <laughs> uh, mixing my words. But um, one is that the Astros played in a much tougher division than the White Sox. Yeah. So their, you know, 93 wins was more important to me than the White Sox 93 wins, you know? Yeah. I had a little more it had a little more weight to it given that they had the, you know, uh words that have not been spoken about in 20 years but fight off the Mariners. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean they 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 were always like five games ahead it felt like, but you know, but you know, but that five those five games could be lost very quickly if they didn't keep sure. winning, you know. And so they had to beat the they had to beat the Mariners, they had to beat the A's who are, you know, have been have been a strong team for a while. You know, they had real teams to to pick on. Cleveland like explicitly tanked after okay, after a few months yeah. once they realized that they weren't going to be contenders. Well, yeah, the, you know, the other teams were, you know, mediocre or bad. You know, obviously the Tigers had an encouraging year given how bad they've been away, but like, you know, but they're not but they weren't a playoff team in any right. you know, in, in any respect. Same with the Royals. Um and uh, you know, and the twins were just abysmal, right? So like that is a uh you know, and I think many people probably picked the, tw- the Twins to win the division. You know, you know, I think it was probably a toss-up between Twins and White Sox for most watchers, but the Twins just did not bring it this year, you know. And then they also, like, traded away, you know, many of their core players, like Cruz and Jose Berrios and all that. So, like, I'm like, okay, yeah, the the Astros had a, to me, a, a better team, a better, a more a more quality 93 wins. Second is the White Sox were just uninspiring to me mm. for much of the year, you know. They basically played like five hundred ball for like months at a time, you know, like and that, you know, and again, given the division, like, was not like, <laughs> was not was not all that great to me, you know. Um, it just seemed like another kind of not to say that that uh no, I actually am saying the AL Central is bad, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. really I'm really uh, drilling that in, but you know, it doesn't mean that they're a bad team. But I think that given the talent, I think a better team would have just kind of cruised, you know, yeah. um, uh, not just cruised, but, but but like dominated, and they didn't dominate, you know, they just kind of like hung around and stayed, you know, 20, 25 games over 500 for a while, yeah. you know? And that was like, as every other team was rebuilding, aggressively rebuilding, and they were like actually making additions like the, the Craig Kimball trade, which, you know, obviously blew up spectacularly as he often has the last like five years of his career. <laughs> yeah. So it's a metaphor. And then um, the third thing is that the Astros have just been there. Like the White yeah. Sox, yes, I know the White Sox played in the playoffs last year. But like last year's playoffs were not the same. Come on, like, like there's no people. Like, right. <laughs> you know, it's not, that ain't real. They ain't real like what the Astros have been through, you know? The Astros have, have uh, the Astros, every time they're on the road, they have to deal with, like, people, like, saying probably the wildest and nastiest things to them be- you know, yeah. because of because of the sign-stealing scandal that yeah. um, they've embroiled themselves in, and Major League Baseball not disciplining them accordingly enough to give people sort of a uh, a sense of uh, resolution. Right. You know, um, you know, clearly all the players, hate you know, hated them for some time. You know, not all of them, but many of them. And, uh, you know, and, and they have, like, you know... For all intents and purposes, answered every question except question direct questions about sign stealing. Right <laughs> about them, they they won't tell us about that. But they'll but everything else like they are they're really built for this. 
And uh, and so knowing that they had that kind of experience, while the White Sox still have a, a, a fairly, you know, a, a bunch of pretty young players, you know, who haven't been, you know, who have not been in that kind of like pressure cooker, right? Right. That made me think like, yeah, the Astros should win this series, you know, um, and, and advance the next round. In fact, I, you know, I, the only thing I think the White Sox had theoretically was like better, better top of the line starting pitching. But the Astros had good pitching too, man. That's the thing. Yeah. Like they're, they're like they're, the pitchers are are good. They're no, you know, they're no, they're no like ace or Cy Young candidates. But they're all like you know number two threes, and that is enough. You know, if you're if you can hit the crap out of the ball like they like they can. So yeah, I think that the the perception of their rotation post you know post Verlander, post Garrett Cole, post sort of a, a much not that Granky was bad, but you know. A, a much more effective version of Granky is that the script flipped from them being totally dominant to, to not good. And I think that they aren't not good. They're just less proven and that's different. Right. And we probably should have made that distinction for ourselves more clearly over the course of the year than we did. I'm curious what you make of the way that the Astros players who were on that team was sign stealing because it is interesting, like most of this roster has actually turned over by now. And so a lot of the guys who are getting booed on the road every day are probably like, but I didn't, I wasn't, that wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't on that team. But, you know, guys like Correa are still obviously having to respond to stuff, as is Jose Altuve. I'm curious what you make of the way that they talk about their own scandal, because obviously there were there were some further allegations that they might be up to no good as a part of this White Sox series, and Correa responded to them after. And I just, I, I wonder what you make of their approach to that. I wonder if there is a good approach, I guess, is one question that we could ask. You know, is there a way that they could talk about this stuff that would actually satisfy anyone? And then I'm curious what you think of the way that they've chosen to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that they have. I think I think the Astros, man. One, someone, if you're in like college or grad school, listening to this, and you're like in the humanities, you're not like trying to be a GM or something. Um, <laughs> you right. should like do like some sort of like sociology, like you know, deep study on yeah. how they have embraced or healed them. Yeah, you know, both both the the fans, both the fans and the players. Yeah. Have embraced healed them in a way that is pretty fascinating to me. You know, like they they, they have full, fully coalesced around this "no one believes in us" kind of thing, and that yeah. is like clearly it's like, and, and they play with that intensity and fire every day. I think that's abundantly clear. I mean, you really saw it in twenty twenty. Yeah, you know, um, when when you know they they had a pretty mediocre you know regular season, and then you know they balled out to almost making the pennant, right? But yeah, looking at you know, I I, I think that. That is what they're coming from is like this uh, defensiveness about their behavior that they are – that is of partially confidence in themselves but partially, I think, insecurity that they'll never be liked again and trying yeah. <laughs> and trying to deal with that. Like, yeah. Car- like Carlos Correa was beloved. Jose Altuve especially, you know? Yeah. L- 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 little cute Altuve, you know? Four yeah. foot seven, you know, <laughs> eighty two pounds, <laughs> uh, still, you know, stealing sixty bags and you know hitting thirty home runs and all, you know, like you know, every, everyone, you know, everyone was Jose Altuve, you know, um, yeah. always smiling. And Alex Bregman so desperately wanted to be liked, you yeah. know, like he, like he did that uh, piece with uh, Jun Lee, the Jun Lee wrote uh, for Bleacher Report before he was at ESPN, but like a profile on him, basically saying I want to be the LeBron James of baseball. That's what he said, like straight up, like and. Uh, 
you know, he will never be there <laughs> for no. a host of reasons. You know, like like it, it was they they you know there were some players you know that really I think enjoyed you know being sort of the beloved underdogs you know rather than you know the hated villains of that and so there's st- I think they're still wrestling with that you know on the field you know where, where they get you know and and uh, that's where you see Korea respond the way he does you know he did you know yeah um uh, to Ryan Tapera right and whether yep. it's true or not like. I again, I, I am not close enough to that team or any of the operations to say, but the loss of that benefit of the doubt, like I think, it still eats at them. But they just they just they're just succeeding at converting it into winning rather than you know self disruption. Yeah, at least on the field. I would really be curious to know like how the how the perception of that team from other players has shifted, if it has shifted at all in the last year. Like I think that fans, understandably, because they were sort of tasked explicitly by Manfred to like hold this baseball team to account and then we had a pandemic and no one could go to games and so I understand why fans this year are like we got to give it to these guys like that is we were we were drafted into this job now we have to do it but other players saw them albeit in an abbreviated way last year and I I wonder where in the process of sort of and not that anyone is obligated to like forgive them or anything like that but I wonder where in the process of sort of coming to terms with those guys and being able to have interactions with them that are not just negative from the jump other players are I, I I don't have a great sense of that it's like whenever you see guys mic'd up on the field against the Astros they seem like they're getting along great and everything's fine but you're also conscious of the fact that like they're mic'd up and they're engaged in some kind of some level of performance so it's I I don't know it's a it is a fascinating dynamic I wish someone could go in and do a deep study like you said because it's like it's just endlessly interesting to me how we how we engage with forgiveness around this stuff and how people's self-perception gets altered by other people not liking them and how they choose to respond to that publicly. It's like, I don't know. Right. And, you know, um, I think there's probably truth to, to, to those mic'd up exchanges, you know, to be clear. Like, I think that they are, you know, I think the players understand they're not evil. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> they did something really, really angering and hurtful. Yeah. But I think they understand maybe more than the fans do they're not evil. Perhaps in part because they're also sign stealing. Uh, oh, right. This is the thing. It's like, like I'm sure that they have a – they might still view what Houston did as as crossing a, a line, right? But I think that they have – how do I want to put this? They they know where the other stops on the spectrum are with greater certainty than fans do, right? <laughs> no, I mean, look, look. Uh, just, just earlier this year, it, it, it got lost in the ether because – this was uh, about the Colorado Rockies, but Eric Kratz, you know, who just yeah. retired, said that the Colorado Rockies were illegally sign stealing in the playoffs in 2018. Like he said that, like almost verbatim. <laughs> and he said that he, he also says, "quote on on this like interview, he knew of two other teams that season that did quote very very similar things." Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there, so there is this understanding that, is, that it's going around a little bit as well. But there was another thing I wanted to point out too, as far as, you know, that, that kind of big question of like, are the Astros being embraced more, right? Or, yeah. or is time, is time healing this wound? But I want to point to something that actually Aaron Judge told, uh, Matthew Robertson at the Daily News. And Matthew Robertson, by the way, is super dope writer, a former fangrass writer. Former fangrass writer. And, uh, a, uh, you know, part of the, the Mariners gang. Very well represented. <laughs> <laughs> Very well represented on on baseball internet anyway. Yeah, yeah. But Matt, but Matthew's he's the homie, and uh, yeah, but he did an inter- he, he did an interview with, with Judge towards the end of the season, 
where Judge mentioned some of the people, some of the names that he's heard discussed as potentially going to the Yankees. Right. He says, and he said, quote, you hear a lot about story, comma, yeah. Correa, you know, and then Seager, Trey Turner, all these guys, you know? Yeah. And, and it was, it, I think it was, I'm, I'm honestly surprised there wasn't more pickup on this because, first of all, I mean, he just named a bunch of shortstops who are not Gleyber Torres. Right. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. for, the former franchise player and two-time All-Star, you know, in recent, in very recent history for the Yankees. Who is like clearly no longer a short-stopping organization, and and here's Aaron Judge saying, "Yeah, we're you know uh, I'm hearing that we're thinking about all these superstars, right, <laughs> and, and bringing them to replace our former superstar." So like you know that's one thing, but also the fact that he mentioned Carlos Correa as a potential fit for the team. Now I don't know if he weighed in much more than that, but like but that you know but that says something given that Aaron Judge spoke you know pre- as candidly as Aaron Judge will ever speak about the frustration of seeing you know of uh, the Astros winning and of. Jose Altuve winning the MVP over him in 2017, given all the cheating happening around him. All that, like, was, uh, that happened, that wasn't that long ago when he was saying that, you know? But the fact that he's interested in this potential free agent, you know, who had, of course, an incredible year, as someone who could be on his team, you know, I didn't say it with, like, you know, swears and, you know, invective. Right. (laughs) Like, like that, that, um, you know, I don't know, that, that, that might speak a little bit to how, Someone very close to, I guess, the worst of the Astros offenses would, yeah. you know, um, would, would, is processing this stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. I had not seen that quote from him. We can't claim credit for Matthew Roberson. He was excellent when he arrived and was great when he left. But we were happy to have him ever so briefly at Fangraphs. So that's that's the Astros. They will face off against the Red Sox. What is your sense of this Red Sox team? I I don't know if I underrated them or properly rated them. I talked about this with John Taylor yesterday when he came on Effectively Wild. He is a Red Sox fan, so his sense is generally (laughs) positive, um, perhaps unsurprisingly, although he he quite generously offered that, you know, the Red Sox don't need to win another World Series this year. They have enough. So that was magnanimous of him. But (laughs) What a saint, John Taylor. But I thought them to be a pretty middling team. Team at times, although they had, they definitely had components of their roster and players on their roster who were who are really excellent. And then they they gave the Rays the business, and now they're going to advance to the CS or have advanced to the CS. What is your sense of this Red Sox team? Man, the uh, herd immunity all stars, oh, call them <laughs> naturally. Everyone, get your shot. <laughs> I was there for when uh, Chris Sale was running away from the Moderna ad, so I felt oh, like I was uh, I was living in history. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You looked around and you're like, history, it's happening all around me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> From the very uh in Fenway. But yeah, uh, the, the Sox, they're like, I thought, you know, in earlier before the season started, I didn't think that they were going to be good, but I could see how they could be good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's an sure. important distinction to make, right? Like, I'm not like saying, oh, yeah, the Sox, they're making the playoffs, right? But like, but a good way to be like good is, you know, one way to be good is by like adding lots of like, you know, high end talent, Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like say, uh, you know, uh, a Mookie Betts type, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Just, uh, just to pick a name. Yeah. and then, But then another way is by like eliminating the holes in your team, you know, mm-hmm. like 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 uh, plugging away, you know, those sorts of leaks. And uh, the Red Sox in 2020 were very leaky, right? Um, which is why they were abysmal. But like signing a guy like uh, Kike Hernandez, you know, like a solid player who is very versatile and like can do a whole lot of things for you at a, at a competent level. Yeah, like that really, you know, that stuff really helps. You know, Hunter Redford obviously, like you know, has been an awesome fit for them. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, it's very razy, you know, and I'm not like happy about it because I kind of hate philosophically anything to stand for. But like, there's a, a, a totally understandable, neutral sort of sense of like, it's good to find good players. Right. Even if they're not superstars. To make sure that, like, you get some reliable production, you know? You ra- raise your floor, you know? You don't have to raise your ceiling all the time, or ra- you know, but, you, but, but raising your floor right. can really help. And so when you have that, plus, you like as you mentioned, they still had a core of interesting players, you know? Right. Xander Bogarts is a great hitter, you know? Yeah. Like, can't be a shortstop no more, but he's a great hitter. <laughs> like, Rafael, De- Rafael Devers, you know? Su- super talented, you know? And, yeah. and, we, and we saw that again this year. JDM. Great hitter, you know, yeah. one of the greatest hitters of his generation. And I thought, like, you know, if Chris Sale is back and like healthy, you know, and um, and there's good reason, to, good reason to believe that, like, you know, that you come back okay after Tommy John surgery because they've been doing it forever, you know, like that he could be a shot in the arm, you know. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Sorry, pun not intended, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good to be able to laugh about these things, you know, because otherwise we'd yeah. just cry. Otherwise we would just cry. But yeah, Chris, yeah, but you know, Chris Sale was like, you know, I think people almost kind of forgot like how like crazy dominant he was. Yeah. Even even in his kind of bad 2019 that he was like striking out like 12 per nine or some stupid rate, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, but like he, he's so, uh, and, and you know, he was very good, right? Like when he came back. Um, you know, kind of almost choked away the season at the end last last start of the year and the playoffs actually as well. But like, but he did actually do what they needed and gave him that boost, or that was a pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that that they needed Very to get good. over the hump. You know, as they were dealing with you know regression, you know, elsewhere in the team. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I, I, I so I, I wasn't terribly surprised that like that they were a good team. Just like it just wasn't my immediate prediction. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just didn't, I don't know, I didn't think it would coalesce the way that it needed to. I maybe thought the rest of the East was just too good for, of all the teams in the East that I thought might just be undone by the strength of the competition they face in the division. I think they they ranked higher on that list for me than New York or Toronto or certainly Tampa Bay did. So I was a little surprised by them, but now we get to watch them in the the ALCS. And gosh, who do you think emerges from that side of, side of the bracket, ultimately? I think it's Houston. Yeah. Like, I feel pretty confident that it's Houston because yeah. uh, I think – they're just better in, in like literally every aspect of the game. <laughs> yeah. Than this Boston team, you know, which is yeah, even though they're again, they've uh improved you know, they they, they certainly improved from last year, right? Um and sure. twenty nineteen for that matter. The Astros are built similarly but better. And if that makes sense, you know, like and that the pitching's not like blow you away amazing, but they're still very good, you know. Right. And they have they have the 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 high end star talent to match what Boston does in Altuve and Correa, Kyle Tucker. Yeah. Uh, Alex, Bregman, Alex Bregman dealt with injuries, but like I think Alex Bregman's a great player. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. he's still has the MVP finalist kind of talent that he showed. You know his first few years in Houston. You know, and so yeah, they're 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 just as they they have a, a super deep lineup. They exceed them in star power. They still have depth, and they have beyond. Let's say assuming assuming you think that Sale is like still like an ace caliber arm, like mm-hmm. or, or or can be counted on for ace caliber performance. Which honestly, maybe not right. But like you know, even still. One through four, like Houston's got it, you know, and yeah. so um, so yeah, so I I expect them to take care of business, and uh, and they also have home field advantage, and you know, the uh, so I I think I think they'll be I think they'll win this in like five. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a, I think that's a prediction I agree with. I think that they are they are 
probably World Series bound. In terms of who will meet them on the NL side, we still have right. a bit of a question. Obviously, we, we need to see who's going to emerge from the Dodgers-Giants series, but we should take a second to talk about Milwaukee and Atlanta, another series I predicted incorrectly. I'm just doing <laughs> great. This is why I don't bet on sports. I mean, this is one of the reasons I don't bet on sports. And so I have to say that like, as a, as a way for Atlanta to advance, there's something very poetic and narrative building about it coming off a, a Freddie Freeman home run. They, they won yesterday. What were your impressions of that Brewers Brave series? Man, Christian Yelich has fallen so far. It's such a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> he was such a fun, fun hitter. Yeah. For two years. <laughs> and now, yeah. and now he's, you know, he, he's a platoon guy, basically. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and, uh, Someone resurfaced the uh, the old Belly versus Yelly. Yeah. You know, re- referring to Cody Bellinger versus Christian Yelich, who like finished one, two in MVP race, I want to say. Yeah. Um, in 2019 or, tw- yeah, I think it was, I think, no, it was 2019. Yes, for sure. Because Belly, yeah, that was when Belly won. And that was Yelly this year, won, yeah. Yelly won in 2018. So that's right. That's right. So yeah, so like the two young superstars from this de- next decade, right? Like uh, we're, we're, we're front and center in this MLE ad, right? <laughs> and, and they're both, and they both kind of suck now. Yeah. And that's, uh, so that's unfortunate. But yeah, so like they, they really need that kind of like lineup anchor, you know, that just kind of makes the rest of the, what they do well, you know, kind of stick. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, the, you know, I think the Brewers are really good and I think they could, they, they will, they could be back with just kind of like smart additions to their team, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're, and also they're clearly good at making smart additions, you know, to, to their team. Right. Like, you know, um, they, uh, like, like the Willie Domus trade was yeah. outstanding. They beat the Rays in a trade. Which is like already just enough to, enough already to say to show props to that front office. Yeah, but you know, but they do need they need more on on offense. You know, um, to be the favorites to win win it all anyway. And uh, and maybe next time around they just you know they just pitch the hell out of things and then <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it's hard. You know, it's hard to win every game two to one. It's hard to win every game four to three even. So they uh, that was my take on them and the Braves. The Braves were actually my pick to win it all this year. Oh really? Yeah, preseason. I thought it was going to be Braves, Mets. It's going to be close in that division, but I thought the Braves would overcome them by a few games. Other things happened um, to, to, to both those teams. But mm-hmm. to me, I thought the, their case was that like they had three MVP candidates. Marcel Lozuna, who's obviously not there and should not be yeah. there as, as he's being investigated for his allegations of domestic violence. Yeah. There is Ronaldo Cunha Jr., who's like, frankly, my favorite player to watch in baseball. Yeah, he's right fantastic. Um, yeah. And then, you know, him blowing out his knee midseason. Yeah. And, uh, and then Freddie Freeman, who actually won the MVP last year. <laughs> like, I, you know, I figured, okay, Acuna's going to win this one this, this year. But Freddie and Marcel's and Marcel Zunu seem to figure it out on offense, you know, in a way that he hadn't before, like, would just kind of like anchor that team. But none of that stuff happened. And they had a whole bunch of underperformance elsewhere as well. But, you know, I did believe in the core of that team. Still, yeah. you know, and, you know, Freddie Freeman is still, you know, clearly a great hitter and everything, a great player. I thought, and and I thought the, I thought the other thing was that they had a lot of, they had a lot of young, talented young starting pitching and they added Charlie Morton, who I think was just like a tremendous get. You yeah. Know? Uh, I thought that immediately when they, when they signed him. And so uh, by acquiring Morton, that was sort of like the kind of thing that pushed them over the edge because they got so close to being the Dodgers last year. You know, they got so, so close. I'm like, okay. If they can play the Dodgers that well, then I think that they are not far, you know? And I also thought yeah. that they had a, a decent enough farm system where, like, they could plug in leaks where they needed. Like, to me, I thought the leak was going to be Austin Riley. Clearly not, right? But, like, right, yeah. You know, he's uh, but, have like, a fantastic uh, year. 
Right. I figured they just, you know, they could like get like a Kyle Seeger type, you know, mm-hmm. when the when, when the Marin doesn't inevitably fall out, right? Like they, right. they would be able to, you know, trade within their, their farm depth, you know, to go get a decent player they needed wherever there was a, a potential hole somewhere, you know. But they're in the mix for the World Series in ways I did not expect. <laughs> and that's. So I'm not I'm not that smart, but I, I yeah I do think they underperformed and, and and even even among players who have not been rightfully removed or hurt from the team like there's yeah. there's there's more there there's more there there there's more talent you know than they had shown in their eighty whatever trash team and you're seeing that in how they clearly played a cut above the Brewers. Yeah, I think the ability to to actually score runs like this is such a well, yeah, Meg, like thank you, but <laughs> like the ability to counter good pitching when the other team can't, you know, it's just like that was the difference in this series. They were able to scratch across runs when they needed to against starters who mm-hmm. at times have been unhittable, let alone um, easy to score on. Right, so yeah, they were quite impressive. I I do feel for Braves fans who seem just absolutely terrified anytime will smith is involved in the outcome of their game (laughs) oh my gosh it's so great they are (laughs) and i don't i don't fault them for feeling nervous like he he makes me nervous to watch and i'm not invested in the way that actual fans are so you know i I imagine that we will hear a lot about the potential for you know will smith meltdown against whichever team emerges from dodgers giants but yeah they've they've managed to rebuild that outfield entirely either because of injury or because of Acuna being absent as you said for reasons that are good so I mean the reasons are bad but his absence is is appropriate so I think that that is an impressive sort of move on the fly like Adam Duvall just being an important part of Braves lore at this point seems seems decided so Jock Peterson yeah our bad b-word yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's the one redeeming thing about Braves fandom is seeing all the pearls. Then they start oh, getting yeah. hot chop, and then I'm like, oh, uh, that's another thing. I, I think I got a little carried away in just kind of how fun the actual team was in the field, and I'm like, yeah. oh wait, but you have to actually watch the Braves fans now. Like I didn't get, to, you know, you didn't get to see any fans last year, so I was like, oh, the Braves are kind of fun to watch. And I'm like, oh wait, no, this is uh, awful. <laughs> Braves home games are are the worst. Yeah, that <laughs> it is awful in the moment, and then. You feel like it is preemptively awful for when, well, I suppose I should say if, I don't know why I give them the benefit of the doubt that this will be a a conclusion they come to on their own, but if and when they decide we have to move on from this iconography, it it is offensive and embarrassing and alienates people. I just don't have a lot of confidence that they are going to force like a come to Jesus moment for their fans because the tolerance for this is just like they they're in ballpark restaurant has chop in the name like yeah it's not like the institution is pushing back against the individual in a productive way here. <laughs> yeah they, they have to go like post holocaust germany as far as a total full cultural reset to get them to stop doing that stuff yeah like like so i'm not even like joking about that when i when yeah. i say like like that's the level of like reprogramming you know discipline which is something that our country doesn't clearly does not have the appetite for when dealing no. with like issues of racism, you know. Yeah. So like like I I'll, I'll bring you to I was I went to a Cleveland game in 2018 as just a fan. I was just in town for work, and there were like thousands of people in like save Wahoo shirts because they were already like you know publicly right. discussing phasing out you know the logo. And they were use, they were using the, the the big C a lot more um, right. at that point, and 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 clear plan was to move on eventually, right? And there were thousands of people in save Wahoo shirts. Yeah. Trevor Bauer was selling Wahoo shirts from his website, <laughs> and he was on the Cleveland at the time. Yeah. So you see thousands of white folks, and yes, they were invariably all white, in these yeah. shirts. It was a uh, very 
stark sort of like reminder of how intractable the unwillingness to really listen or care to what you know to to why people don't appreciate <laughs> the gestures, yeah. the logos, the images yeah. was among you know among fans of something. And so yeah, if 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 the Braves became I don't know the Panthers or whatever, right? It wouldn't matter <laughs> unless unless security unless security just starts throwing people out to all thirty six thousand of the right. choppers. You know? Well, and this is this is the thing. It's like in Cleveland, there was I don't even know the right way to like categorize this behavior relative to what Braves fans do, but the team did start to get serious about saying like, "Hey, you can't wear red face to the ballpark. Like, if you come with you know a headdress on and your face painted, you're not going to be allowed to enter the ballpark." And I imagine that like the number of people who were doing that, it was too many, but it was that was a, a a manageable problem from like a logistical perspective for Cleveland to say like, no, you just can't come in because we see you wearing red face and you can't do that here. And the enforcement is a much, much harder task in Atlanta because of how pervasive it is and because you can't say walking into the ballpark, oh, like that, that guy's a chopper. Right. And so they're going to have to do much harder work. And I just don't have a lot of confidence in their either desire or ability to do that. <laughs> and so it's it's a real problem. Like, I I don't know how they're squaring their kind of current moment with their decision in 2019 to like not do the not distribute the foam tomahawks or do any of the music cues because Ryan Helsley was like, this is like offensive to me as an indigenous person who's about to pitch in this game. I don't know how they square their current moment with that because they've already acknowledged that this is a problem and they're still not doing anything about it. <laughs> but yeah. Freddie Freeman, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, go Braves, go Bars. Yeah, like uh. <laughs> it's it's rough stuff. There's there's a very fun team on the field and the atmosphere they play in is it's just cringeworthy every time. So I don't know, man. I don't know what we do about that. I mean, I know what we do about it, but I don't know that we collectively ever will. So that's a that's a nice bummer of a note to end on when we're previewing that part of the NLCS. And then we transition to the Dodgers and the Giants, whose fate is still to be decided. I really like that this series has gone to five. I think that oh, me I would have- yeah, we would have felt cheated if somebody had been swept out or if we hadn't seen Los Angeles win last night. It's really a shame that we can't see these teams meet in the CS just because I think this is such a an enjoyable matchup. But who do you have emerging victorious tomorrow? Man, I'm just going to go with feels and guts and say the Giants. Oh, I, I just, like I, it. Because I, I, I just think they're going to be, you know, all year they've been one game better. <laughs> just one game. <laughs> so, so it feels like for all, all year. So I think they I think they keep that going. Yeah, they keep that streak alive, and they end up one game better. Because you know the Dodgers had that wild card game, right? So they both they're both tied for like seasonal wins, season yeah. plus playoffs at one hundred nine, I think. And so uh, yeah, that that's what I think happens. They they get you know they get that one win, you know, and uh, Dodgers go home, and that's just kind of it. And uh, and a lot, you see lots of tweets about steroids and sign stealing online. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be glorious. Yeah, I think the online discourse around around the Giants is is certainly it carries a, a patina of suspicion, shall we say? It'll be interesting to see kind of what the the how the discourse is shaped around that because I think you're right that if we get Astros Giants, 
We're just going to talk about cheating a lot, which is probably one of my least favorite things about Houston's decision to cheat because it casts understandable doubt on outlier performance elsewhere and has made us all pretty cynical. And, and for me, the lack of discipline, too, just cause, because it makes it it makes it palatable to try and do it again, at least for me as an outsider. Right. It's just like, OK, if you're not going to like, lose the World Series <laughs> when cheating help you get there, then uh, why not? You know, those, those draft picks. They stink, but you know you'll get them back. <laughs> but that, yeah. but that title, that title is forever. You know what I mean? And so, to me, like they needed, to, you know, they, they need to be more severe discipline for these guys, and there wasn't. So that's too bad. Yeah, I imagine the mileage varies on that in terms of how powerful a disincentive the institutional punishment and then the fan reaction has been, and sort of the reputational damage. Like I don't know. I have. I don't know about what's going on with San Francisco. Like, I have no concept of whether or not they're actually doing that stuff. I don't have any inside information, whether there's any foul play there. I do find it hard to imagine seeing how Houston's players have been received on the field and the way that they are talked about and sort of the caveats that are automatically attached to their performance now and feeling like I would want to replicate something like that. But I also don't know how it feels to have the pull of a World Series championship as a professional athlete. So it's hard for me to know which of those things counterbalance. And like I said, I think the mileage probably varies. You know, if you're like if you're Buster Posey and you're not just worried about winning a World Series this year, but sort of your Hall of Fame case and your legacy, that might hit you differently than someone who's, you know, coming up and is desperate to to win and be able to add a ring to the resume. I don't know. It's but I think that the the lack of certainty is part of the problem here, right? That it is not something that we can look at and say, yes, that's going to that's going to inspire people to really toe the line is probably an indication that the degree of punishment was insufficient to the crime. Yeah, man, that I think really captures much of what I feel about this is that like, yeah, is it, there's always going to be that lingering question of like, did the punishment, you know, fit the crime? Did it, or, or did discipline fit the crime? Yeah. Is it something that will, you know, steer people sufficiently away from it, you know? Right. Especially again, like we talked about earlier, other teams apparently have done stuff. Yeah. Have you heard about a probe into the Colorado Rockies? Even though a player, even though a player who played against them? Right. And the playoffs said like on the record, they did stuff. <laughs> right. Like, no, we haven't, right? Because no one cares yeah. about the Rockies, you know? Right. But that's not enough of a reason to uh, ignore it, right? Like, right. But uh, Eric Kratz could be Mike Fires, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and, you know, Major League Baseball could be dealing with it, but, they, but they're not. So I should ask them actually one day, just to have them on the record. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if no one's done that before. Yeah. No one beat me to that, you know? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, no, uh, that's, but that's, that's my thought. Bradford just did what my my sister and I used to do with cupcakes as children. He he, he licked it. He claimed it as yes. his own. So you're not allowed now. He has laid claim to it legally. Yeah, this is legal. Yeah, <laughs> you'll you'll hear from his people if you yes. step over the line. Well, I think that this Giants team is really good. I think that ultimately, I have the Dodgers being a little bit better. Just because I think that as they have shown at times, like that offense is just so potentially explosive, even without Max Muncy, even with Cody Bellinger in just like a nightmare of a year. It's it's interesting to see That's people. That's a sad statement, though. Even with Cody Bellinger. God. Right. Right. <laughs> like it's even like, with oh. Cody Bellinger, Bellinger dragging them down. They're yeah. still pretty good. Ugh. But anyway, 
I know it's such a point, but... <laughs> one, one of my favorite things about this time of year is that we all start watching the same baseball after being, you know, cordoned off in our little camps uh, throughout most of the, the regular season. And I, you'll be unsurprised to learn, follow like a disproportionate number of Mariners fans on, on Twitter. And watching Mariners fans who are now watching the playoffs fully grapple with just how bad Cody Bellinger's year has been. They're they're like, we know he's been bad. So they assumed that he would have like a WRC plus of like 100, right? That a bad year was like league average. And then they look and they're like, oh, no. And the full weight of it hits them. And um, I'm like, yeah, now now we're all watching watching that guy try to f- flail it, you know, back foot breaking balls. Here we go. Well, <laughs> Bradford, I so appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Do you have any final thoughts about the playoffs before we we depart? They've been a lot of fun with, you know, yeah. with all with our, our detours and diversions on the gross bigotry of one, you know, that <laughs> one team's fan base team is cultivated out of their fan base to the cheating allegations and rumors and, you know, and all that to, uh, I don't know, the, the, the various tangents we've been on that aren't directly related to the game. The game is being played at a high and fun level, you know, yeah. I wish it was a little faster paced, right? But that doesn't mean that what's 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 out there isn't isn't really cool, you know. And and these have been close, intense games, yeah. almost universally, except for the White Sox series, actually. Right. So as long as no one makes any compares Black Cuban players to slaves, I think that we should continue to be in for more fun. <laughs> um, yeah. These next coming rounds, but yeah, no, I, it's been it's been a pleasure to to kind of get back into this stuff and and watch it super intensely because obviously I don't have to the same degree, sure. you know, on my current job. And uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to point people to all the places where they can find your work in a second. But do you have anything specific that you'd like to plug? Yeah, I mean, there's always the uh, the Five and Dive podcast that I do it over at Baseball Prospectus. You know, um, we are not the Jets and Sharks here. Oh, we're no. All, we're, all, we're, all, we're all nerd family. Oh, yeah, for and sure. So, you know, there's, there's enough time in your in your weekly diet for two podcasts. But yeah, me and Craig Goldstein do that every you know every week we've had i've had i've had some scheduling difficulties you know late so i haven't been on recently but like you know but i i I should be on pretty soon to just continue to uh, do that unfortunately again i have nothing nothing else besides you know check out what i'm doing in insider you know um my my name is bradford william davis you google that you'll 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 find me and just uh keep enjoying these games uh while while you have them because you're gonna miss them when they're gone for the next six to 24 months (laughs) (laughs) due to the ongoing uh, labor negotiations that you know and, and strife that may be happening pretty soon so yeah yeah i think that enjoying them is a good call you can also find bradford on twitter at bwd 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 just my initials repeated three times yes. three times uh. yeah uh so you can find bradford there as he said you can listen to him on five and dive thank you so much for joining me bradford thank you for having me That'll do it for today. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged a small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going, keep us ad-free, and get access to a few special perks. Brian Hamilton, Genevieve Luthi, Jeff Johnson, Alex Arquila, and Michael Merviani. Speaking of perks, as I mentioned last time, if you're a supporter at the $10 a month and up level, one of your supporter benefits is access to two Patreon-exclusive postseason livecasts featuring me, possibly Ben, and several of our baseball friends. The first of those streams will take place this Sunday, October 17th, during Game 2 of the NLCS. You'll find details in your Patreon inbox soon, and if you'd like to join us and aren't currently a supporter or are a supporter but not for $10 a month or more, 
more, don't worry, there's still time to sign up or up your level. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for us coming via email at podcast at fangrass.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you're a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. I'll be back later this week with new guest co-hosts and new episodes. Until then, enjoy your playoff day off.